Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. Again, want to welcome those that are with us online. We're so grateful that you are a part of things. Before I jump into the message this morning, just got to celebrate. We got babies coming out our ears this place, okay? So we had another baby last week. Here is Bo Charles Vol. He is the son of Robbie and Christine Vol. And so if you know them, celebrate with them. If you want to bring a meal to them, do whatever you got to do. But we just love that we got babies coming out all over the place. It's awesome, guys. And uh, so if you, if you like to serve in the nurseries, we could use your help, because I think there's 18 women pregnant right now, so <laughs> it's great, it's great. It's church growth, folks, one baby at a time. <laughs> awesome. Well, this morning, uh, I'm excited to get back into the series. We took a one-week break last week for Man Day. If you missed it, I hope that you were, keep chopping wood, folks, keep chopping wood. If you missed it, go back and watch that message, but this morning, we're going to continue with the series, Living in Babylon. It's a study through the book of Daniel, and we are wrestling with the tension that every single one of us faces in life, and it is this. How do we live for God's kingdom when we reside in this kingdom? It's a tension we face. We're constantly wrestling this reality. So often, living for Christ is in direct conflict with the values of this world. And in week number one, we talked about this, and we said that this world is full of pressure to compromise. There's compromise our lives. Pressure, 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 pressure. But today, we're specifically going to talk about the pressure to compromise our allegiance toward God. That's the compromise we're going to talk about today, all right? Now, some days I get up here, and I'm preacher guy. Some days I stand up here, and, uh, you know, I'm evangelist guy. Today, you just need to understand, today I am up here as teacher, and I am up here primarily as pastor, okay? Listen, my heart, Amber and I heart for you, our job is to be your pastor. What does it mean to pastor? It means to shepherd. And so when you shepherd, our main role is to shepherd you toward Christ, but at the same time to shepherd you away from any harm that would compromise your relationship with God and lead you down a path that could be dangerous for you, all right? And that's what I'm gonna deal with today. I need your grace this morning. Back in the fall, I did a series leading up to the presidential election called An Election-Proof Faith. And at that time, I said, listen, I know I'm wading into to shark-infested waters here as I was dealing with that. How do we live faithfully during a season like that? This morning, this is another one of those messages. As we're going to deal and wrestle with some challenging topics, I'm going to talk about some things going on in our world. And you need to understand my heart. My heart is not to stand up here and to try and make a scene or to be reactionary. My desire is to help shepherd us toward faithfulness to Christ. That's my greatest desire. And so we all have to lay down, rather than trying to react to me this morning, my prayer is that all of us would say, God, what are you speaking here? Could I be in submission to your authority? All right? So have some grace with me here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read this together? We always stand. We say, God, we value your word more than my words, okay? And I'm going I'm to jump through this one because it's a little bit longer, so I'll kind of skip around, so just follow along with me. Verse number 1 of chapter 3 says this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. If you're not sure of the conversion, that's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, all right? And he set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Goes down, he calls a bunch of people together to, to come be a part of this. You jump down to verse number four, he says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of all these instruments, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship 
will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all the instruments, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Jump down to verse 12. This is what they said. There are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that this word that is 2,500 years old is relevant to us today. God, I pray for every one of us, Lord, would you help us open our ears and God, help us to have hearts that are open to hear what you have to say, not what we think. God, give us eyes, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So the truth is for every single one of us, we all like to fit in, don't we? When you're a kid, you want to fit in. You want a place to find the place where you fit. You might feel like I'm a little bit of an outsider. Will you look for other outsiders that you can fit in with? We all love this. I think we've all done things we didn't want to do. Why? Because we wanted to fit in. How many of you like roller coasters? Any of you like roller coasters out there? Okay. Okay, I love roller coasters. Absolutely love roller coasters. But how many of you out there are, uh, are get motion sickness out there? Anybody out there? Okay. See, I have a problem because I also get motion sickness. Okay? I love roller coasters, but I get motion sickness. So when I was a kid and I would go to, there was Six Flags Great America. Anybody ever been to Six Flags Great America? It's way better than Valley Fear. No, no offense, it just is. Okay, in the Chicagoland area, so many rides. It's amazing. Okay, but here's what would happen. I would go with my friends to Six Flags Great America to go on the rides. And I go on the first ride and I'm nauseous. And I got a headache, and I feel gross, and I don't want to be there anymore. Because you usually go in the summer, and it's 90 degrees, and you're standing on black asphalt, and you're like, I feel gross. But you know what I did all day long? I went on every ride, right? And I had an ugly smile plastered on me, like, this is the greatest day of my life. I love this. Why? Because I wanted to fit in. I want to be with a crowd. I want to do what everybody else is doing. All of us have done the same thing when it comes to things we wear. Some of you have worn some ridiculous things, Right? Just because it was the cool thing. Is anybody, did anybody uh, tight roll their jeans when they were in the late 80s, early 90s? Some of you? Okay. My vintage. That was my thing when I was a kid. And hear this. There is nothing more uncomfortable than tight rolling your jeans. There isn't. Okay. It's just awkward and uncomfortable. But you did it anyways because it was cool. And that's what the cool kids did. It's actually so old that some kids do it now again just because it's coming back around. That's how old I am, everyone. Thank you. Okay. But we do this. We do foolish things. We do things we don't necessarily want to do. Why? Because we want to fit in. This is a, a tension that we all wrestle with in our lives. But sometimes it's more than just that we want to follow the crowd. Sometimes we are actually being compelled to follow the crowd. Okay? And this is what this passage is actually about. Before I jump into the passage, I want to give us context. We always say, what's the context? I mean, what is this thing about? Okay, let's remember, what is the book of Daniel? What's going on here? We've got four men that are talked about in the book of Daniel. We've got Daniel and then three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were men who were serving God in the nation of Judah, following God, being faithful to him. But the Babylonians come in and they ransack Jerusalem, destroy the city, and they exile a bunch of the people to Babylon. And they take the best of the best into the court of the king and they train them in the philosophies and the ideas and the values of the Babylonian empire and their pagan worship. They train them up in this way. And these four guys, they're trying to live faithfully to their God while living in Babylon. Thus the title of our series. 
And we find ourselves in the exact same position, living in foreign land, trying to stay faithful to God while we reside in Babylon. So what happens? We get to chapter 3, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he is the most powerful historical figure, most powerful man in the known world at that time. And he sets up this massive statue, right? He sets it up, this 90-foot golden statue. And he calls everybody together and says, you got to come bow down before my statue. Otherwise, I'm going to kill you. You're going to throw, get thrown into the fiery furnace. And so this is the command that he makes. And he's trying to show his power to these people. Listen, I'm the most powerful, but it's more than that. He's trying to show his dominance. Listen, you will submit to me. There is nothing that you will have. There is no allegiance that you will have before what I say. Bow. And so we've got these men in the story. And two weeks from today, we're going to finish this story. I love this story. It's a great story. I got a great message two weeks from today. So make sure you come back and listen to that one, okay? But we are going to hit pause right now. So I'm going to stop in this story because I, I see what happens. Back in chapter 1, there was an issue of defilement. Daniel said, I don't want to be defiled, so I don't do these. These boys understand this is more than defilement. This is allegiance. And I think what they are experiencing in this story is exactly what we are experiencing in our world. Increasingly, we live in a world that is trying to get us to bow to anything other than Christ. Okay? That's the world that we live in. And I've talked about this, that there's all these uh, different things that are trying to get us to compromise, these different pressures that are coming against us. But this morning, there are three different sources of that pressure that we see in the story, and I think it's going to speak to our hearts this morning. So I want you to follow along with me. There's three things. First pressure, the first source of pressure that we see in the story is the authority, right? Who's the authority? King Nebuchadnezzar. He makes the proclamation. He says, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what you have to do. You don't have a choice. He represents the political, the legal, maybe even when it comes to jobs, the authorities that we have in our lives. And listen, once upon a time, we lived in a, a society that was Judeo-Christian and, and followed those values, okay? But we are increasingly living in a society that is not ascribing to those values, and so we are, we are, there right now there are places all around the world where to follow after Christ means that you are in conflict with the authority and you are putting your life in the, on the line to follow Christ. As I shared a couple weeks ago, at a minimum, there's about 9,000 martyrs every year for their faith in Christ and it could be as high as 100,000 every single year who are martyred, okay? And so we are living in a nation that increasingly the authority is not happy with us following Christ. And it may be more challenging, and we're in a place where it's in conflict. But that's not the only pressure that we see in this story. What's the second source that we see? The crowd, right? I think this is the one that we deal with the most, isn't it? It's the crowd. Because he makes the proclamation, what does it say? All the people from every nation, they all did what he said. <laughs> they all followed along. They went with it, right? And if, if we follow the crowd, how many know the crowd is generally going the wrong direction. What did Jesus say? Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many go that way. If you follow the crowd, that's where you're going to end up. You know, if, if just, this is a good just thing in life. If everybody's heading a direction, you should stop and ask yourself, is this a good direction? Is this the right direction I should be going? Because it's probably not, all right? That's where the crowd is. And we feel this. You feel this at school, right? The crowd is going one way. You feel this at work. You feel this in culture. There's this movement and direction that the crowd is going. And we have to understand that the crowd is often in direct conflict with what it means to follow Christ. But there's a third source of pressure that we see in this story, and it's this, the mob. 
Who's the mob? Remember, you had the, the king, the authority said, here's what you got to do. You got the crowd. Everybody's going that way. And then there was a few people that stood up and said, hey, those people aren't following along. Those people aren't going along with the crowd. They're not doing what everybody else is doing. And we're living in a culture where the mob is beginning to take power, right? It's oftentimes found on social media. We will tear you apart and destroy you until you go along with what everybody else says. Till you follow along. It oftentimes can control our social standing based on what does the mob say. The mob is getting stronger and stronger in our culture. And so why do I stop here and want to talk about this? Is it because I like to address this? No, because we absolutely must talk about this this morning. We are living this story more and more in our culture. We live in a place that is pressuring us to bow more and more to anything other than Christ, to give our allegiance to anything other than Christ, or to affirm and to support something that is in direct conflict with following Christ, that's in conflict with biblical values or the gospel. That's what we're being challenged to, to bow down. And we have to recognize this. If we are blind to this, then we are in trouble. Remember I said this a couple weeks ago. We are in Babylon, and when you live in Babylon, you're in a battle. It's just the reality. We must understand this, okay? So you know this about me. If, you've, if you attend here regularly, you understand that we come every week and we open the word of God and say, I want to stay focused here. What is the truth? What does God have to say? That's what we do around here. I don't pe- preach my opinions. I don't want to do that. But there's a passage of scripture that I think is enlightening to us, and this is found in First Chronicles. It's a little obscure little verse in the middle of a big passage you wouldn't even notice. It says this from Issachar. It's talking about these men. It said this, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And so our, our goal is to know the word of God absolutely, to know what does God have to say absolutely, but we must also be aware of the times that we are living in so that we see, so that we do not get confused. As Paul talked about this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, I tell you this so that you may not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. And this is what's going on in our world. There are fine si- There's lots of ideas that are going around in our culture that seem fine, but if we are ignorant of the realities of what's going on, they may lead us in the wrong direction, and we may unknowingly be giving our allegiance to someone or something other than Christ. Okay? And so this morning, I'm, I'm trying to be your pastor. He, uh, pa- Paul, when he talked about this, he's pastoring these people. He says, listen, I want to help equip you. I want you to grow up as followers of Christ. Why do I want you to do that? This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, then once you've grown up, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Okay? This is the world we live. All right, so I say this. I'm coming to you this morning as your pastor because I love you and I care about you. It's not because I want to talk about this, because I have to, all right? And so we're going to talk and we're going to dig this morning into three concepts of culture that I believe are calling for us to bow, are demanding us to bow, are, are forcing us into areas that are in conflict with following Christ. But before I do that, I got to get academic for a second, okay? So poke your neighbor, poke your neighbor real quick and say, stay awake, okay? Do it. Poke your neighbor, stay awake, okay? So I'm going to have to take you to school for three minutes, just three minutes, take you to school. And then once I've done that, then we're going to dig in and get to this very relevant topics, okay? All right, we are living in the era known as postmodernism, okay? 
That is the culture that we live in. Postmodernism, you're like, what in the world is postmodernism? Postmodernism is the period following, guess what? Modernism. Very good. Okay? What is modernism? Modernism was the 600 years prior. There's early and late modernism, the period prior to this, starting around 1500, all right? And, uh, and so during this period of time, uh, what was taking place? There was a lot of, it was all about rational thought. It was all about the scientific method. This, this idea that there is truth out there and we're going to work and strive to understand truth, to figure things out, to work things out, right? There's the industrial revolution that takes place and there's development, and there's progress. There's all this stuff that takes place during this period known as modernism or the modern period. But then what happens? World War II. And what happens in World War II? absolute destruction destruction of our world so just beyond what anybody could comprehend and so thinkers began looking and saying okay there was all this progress rather than just thinking okay the progress has happened but evil people will always use you know technology to destroy things rather than thinking that they said no we need to throw the whole thing out we need to think totally differently we need to run away from any modern ideas and instead develop a whole different way of thinking and this is what began to develop in the 1960s some of you are aware of this. Some of you don't understand this. You haven't learned this before. Okay, during the 1960s, it transformed the way and it did a fundamental different way of looking at the world. It started in academia, but over the last 60 years, it has slowly progressed to infiltrate all of culture. And there are two primary thoughts of postmodernism that you need to kind of get a hold of. There's a lot of thoughts, but I'm going to kind of boil it down to two primary thoughts. First point is this. It's a radical skepticism of the concept of objective or universal truth. This is what postmodernism speaks to. A radical skepticism of objective, right? There is no truth. There's no truth. There's nothing out there that's objective, right? And it breeds this concept of cultural constructivism, another fancy word. What does that mean? It means that everything is just created by culture, right? There is no truth. There is no truth out there. No, this culture has their truth. You got your truth. You got, everybody's got their own truth. It's just something that has been made up. There is no, you know, objective there is nothing that is universal about truth it's just you figure that out for yourself okay so that's the first principle of postmodernism second principle of postmodernism is this there are systems of power and hierarchy that determine what can be known okay this is the other principle because there's no universal truth there is no universal truth, so therefore, every system or power out there, the ones who are in charge, they get to determine what is known. They set the language. They set the category. They describe things. They establish all those things. It immediately sets this opinion and this view that there are those in power who oppress and there are those underneath who are being oppressed. That is the model that gets set up by a postmodern mindset. Now, at certain times, there's certain elements of this that can make sense, all right? But you need to understand that fundamentally, these two principles are completely at odds with a Christian worldview, okay? Completely at odds with a Christian worldview. And in fact, Christianity is the target to be destroyed by this worldview, and you'll understand it in a moment, okay? And so I'm going to take, take these two principles, and I'm going to apply it, and we're going to look at three different areas of pressure, areas in our culture where they are demanding, you've got to bow to this. You have to submit to this. Do not have allegiance toward Christ. You must have allegiance toward this idea or this movement, all right? First point is this. There is no transcendent truth. There is no trans, more than just a radical skepticism, there is no trans, there is no truth that is above everything else. You ever heard this said before? Truth is, truth is relative. You got your truth, I got my truth. You ever heard somebody say that? Oh, that's good, that's your truth. 
You got your truth. I got my truth. That's fine. Okay, that, why can you say that? You, some of us are like, that makes no sense whatsoever. How can you say that? Well, if there's no transcendent truth, you can say whatever you want to. There is, no, there is nothing out there. There's nothing that I'm pointing to. It's just ideas out there. That's fine. Everything is a cultural construct. And see, we don't recognize this, but this is what culture has pushed us toward. Based on, it's not some new wave in the last 10 years. This has been 60 years in the making of, of this mindset, this postmodern mindset, infiltrating every area of our culture, beginning in academia and moving its way to, a, to a Broad Street, just the regular roads, okay? And so where are we at here with this? It leads us to a place that if there is no transcendent truth, then there is no God-given truth. And if there's no God-given truth, what the heck are we doing here on Sunday mornings? Like, shut the door. Like, I'm not wasting my time. I study real hard. I should stop doing that. I could play a lot more golf. I love golf. <laughs> I do. Okay? But that... Like, what's the point? If there is no transcend, if there is nothing out there, and we believe it's more than just a transcendent general understanding of truth, we believe there is a God-given truth, all right? And that's why we come. We come to the Word of God and say, we believe that God has spoken. What did Jesus say about himself? He's not just a good guy. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If that isn't true, then let's not waste our time. Let's do something else. But if we believe that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, then that is a lie, and we cannot submit to it. We cannot. In any area in our life where we begin to get a little sloppy, well, if, you know, that's okay for them. No, no, no. It may be okay for them. They're a human being. They can decide what they want to, but you can't allow that to cross the line and say, oh, it's okay. Everything can do, everybody can do what they want to. No, no. No, we, we are submitted to a different level of truth. It is a transcendent truth that is given by God. Why do we come... Our hope and our foundation is Christ, right? It is Christ. In his death and his resurrection, there is hope there. And there is hope in God's word, him revealing himself through his word. This is a truth that we stand on. It isn't my words or my opinions. I can get up there and tell you what my truth is. My truth doesn't matter one bit. So what does God have to say. That's all we talk about here, all right? So we have to be careful because we are in a world that is saying there is none. Make your own way. All right. Second one, sexuality. Now, before I talk about this, I just want to talk to everybody. Listen, I love every single person that walks in this room. And if you are somebody who has had issues where you're wrestling your own sexuality, then know this, we love you deeply. We care for you deeply. This is a place where we are here for you. We support you. We encourage you. We want you to pursue Christ with everything that you've got and know that this is a community that loves you. But along with loving, with my children, I love them enough that at times I have to speak truth into their life that they don't like. And I have to speak truth and I have to stand and trust that God's love is not just a sloppy love. It's built on transcendent truth, okay? And so I'm gonna address some things relating to sexuality here. Because of a postmodern mindset, this isn't some new phenomenon in the last 10 years, because of a postmodern mindset, right? This mindset that there are no categories, we run, recognize this, that if there's no truth, then everything regarding sexuality is merely a cultural construct. That's what a postmodern mindset would say. There is no such thing as, as male or female. There is no such thing as, you know, heterosexuality or homosexuality. None of those things. Those are just merely cultural constructs. We've created those categories. 
And in fact, this is why the, the Christian church is one who is, is kind of pushed against when it comes to a postmodern mindset. Why? Because in the West, Christianity has been the primary religious background. And therefore, it is seen as that oppressive power who has forced humanity into sexual boundaries that they don't believe are eternally true. Do you understand that? And so that, that is why, why do you think there is a push against Christianity? That's the reason. And if there is no truth, then you are actually on a righteous cause to disrupt and to thwart every boundary that exists. That's actually what you should do if you don't believe there's transcendent truth. I should mess up the boundaries. I should destroy the boundaries. I should try and confuse them in any way possible. And that's what we see taking place when it re in regards to sexuality in our country right now. So, you know, basic understanding of things of, of gender and sex, those are things that are being confused, right? Why? It's intentionally because there's no transcendent truth. There's no God-given truth. And therefore, our job is to upend any oppressive desire to try and constrict sexuality in any way, right? Now, obviously, when it comes to a, a male or female, you know, you have the freedom to present yourself masculinely or femininely. You have that choice, but it doesn't change the reality that God says they are male and female. There is a distinction between sexes. There is, okay? Is there a, is there a, and, and, and I'm going to ask, and I'm just going to ask you right now, I don't need an amen, and I don't need a shouting right on this one, Okay? Because if there's somebody in the room who is struggling with this, I don't want the, them to feel anything other than love right now, all right? But I'm gonna still speak the truth, okay? Are there, is there a third, if you, scientifically, there is a third category called intersex. It is an, a phenomenon that happens on rare occasion where there's, anatomically, there is a variance there and that there's a confusion there. But that is not, the fact that there is a third situation that takes place does not take away the reality that there is a clear division of male and female, okay? We don't thwart it all because of that, right? Just like if there's, there are humans that are born without a limb, that doesn't mean that that's the way it was designed. It means occasionally things happen. And so we have, we believe that. We believe that God has spoken. It isn't just simply because scientifically that is a reality, although it is. It requires chromosomes, either XX or XY. It is also biblically, God said, listen, they were created man and woman. This is a reality that we believe. We don't hold to because we want to be bigoted or we want to be anything else. It's that we are staying submitted to say, God, we stand under your transcendent truth, not our opinions, not what I think is right, not what you think was right. We say, God, what do you say? All right? And so in the same way, sexuality is brought in the same context. And I, again, I say this to you because some of you, this is something you wrestle with, and I understand. This is a, a deep identity issue because oftentimes we say, well, I'm, I'm still figuring out who I am. And, I, and that's, a, that's great. We, we figure out who we are. But more important than you figuring out who you are is figuring out who does God say you are. Your identity is not one that we, we go find and make. Our identity that is most important is who does God say we are in submitting to his authority, submitting to his understanding of who we are. That's what it means to follow Christ, okay? And so is there transcendent truth? Absolutely. And therefore, even when it comes to areas of sexuality, and that, why am I picking that one out? You might say, Greg, you're always picking out that one. No, I'm not picking out that one. There's lots of topics we could pick. It doesn't matter what the topic is. The question is, are we going to take that thing and submit it to God's authority or not? It's an issue of submission. So whatever your challenge is, whatever the thing is, we, this whole room, we've got issues in areas of our life where we probably step out. Maybe we're wrestling in a different way. The question is, are we going to bring that under the authority of God and say, I submit to your way and to your transcendent truth? That's the question, okay? This is so important for every single one of us. 
If there is a transcendent God, then there is truth. So again, I want to I say that there's, there's some of you here, and, and maybe this is an area that you wrestle with, hear me. I don't say this because I'm trying to be mean. I don't say this because I don't care about you. I say this because I believe with all of my heart that the Zoe life, that's what our name means, it's life, the abundant, overwhelming, overflowing life of Jesus Christ is available to every single one of us, but it's only available to us when it's submitted to him. When we surrender ourselves to him, then we're able to step into the fullness of the gospel and the good news of what God has given to us and made available to us, all right? That's the second thing. We're moving Number three. Before we get to number three, I want to I wanna just preface this, okay? You can cheer at this point if you'd like to, okay? Um, before I get to the third point, I, I want to just say that this is an area that I, I fear some of you will say, Greg, you're being reactionary. Understand I'm not being reactionary with this one. This is something that has burdened my heart for almost a year now and is something that I've been preparing for because we needed to speak about it. But unfortunately, it's become something that has has become a, kind of a, a focal point in our culture over the last few weeks. And for that reason, I almost didn't want to talk about it, but I feel the necessity to talk about it. And I don't want you to hear this as a, a partisan conversation whatsoever. I feel the need to be able to communicate this because this is in conflict with our allegiance to Christ and it's in conflict with truth, okay? And that has to do with social justice, okay? Now listen to me for a second. Social justice, capital S, capital J. Listen to me, let me speak before you react, okay? I believe wholeheartedly that we need to pursue a just society, wholeheartedly, with all of my heart. Okay, any area of our society that is operating in injustice needs to be dealt with, whether it's racially, whether it's legally, with whatever it is. We need to deal with those categories. We need to do whatever we can to pursue that, to have a more just society. But I've stopped using the phrase social justice a little under a year ago, and there's a reason. Because it has become a word that is not a general term for justice in a society. It has become a very specific word that has specific things connected to it that are in conflict with kingdom values. Okay? And for that reason, I've taken it out of my language. And instead, if those who heard me preach a message on justice back in January, I used the term biblical justice as opposed to social justice. What do I mean by that? Why do I say that? Biblical justice, uh, what does that mean? Well, justice, number one, is built on a foundation of righteousness as defined by God. That's the justice that I pursue. Not, ju not the righteousness that's defined by anybody, person, whatever you make up, that's your idea. No, justice that I believe is based on the righteousness of God. What is his standard of righteousness? That's first and foremost. But there's another word that is clearly presented throughout all of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, and that's the issue of impartiality. Okay? Okay, what does it say in Scripture? It says, justice, what is justice? It means that you come before someone, and there is someone who is rich and has influence and all that. Well, guess what? Before this, it is built on truth. It's not built on their impar we're impartial to them because they have influence, they have anything. No, we are not impartial to them. It is built on truth. Justice is built on reality and truth, not on their perspective, Okay? And in the same way, it talks about this throughout Scripture. You don't treat somebody differently because they are poor and they don't have anything. No, justice is impartial. Instead, it is built on a foundation of truth, not a foundation of anything else, okay? And so that is what biblical justice, it's built on a foundation of truth and truth that is established in God's righteousness and his standard. 
Now you would say, well, what about issues of, of the marginalized? What about those who are outstanding? That is absolutely dealt with in scripture. And you know what that's called? That's called compassion, okay? That's called generosity. How is that dealt with? It's dealt with in the hearts and the lives of us as followers of Jesus Christ who do everything we can to advocate for the marginalized, who advocate for the poor, who do whatever we can to care for them. That's our call. But that isn't an issue of justice. That's something else. Justice is clear before God. Okay? Right, so that is, and this is why I say we have an issue because the culture is advocating and with good intentions. And honestly, the church at large has been fighting for this with good intentions towards social justice, not understanding that by supporting this concept, they are actually supporting a movement which includes things that are completely in conflict with biblical truth and with the gospel, okay? And so this is why I have to speak to this, all right? Now, what do you mean? Here's the problem is you may be giving tacit support to things that are in conflict with your faith by simply saying, I'm all for social justice. I'm fighting for social justice. I want a just society, absolutely. But this is a capital S, capital J kind of issue, and it is very, very specific, all right? So I want to give you just a very, a very simple, but I think a very clear understanding of, of how this can work out and how this can be a challenge at times. There's lots of issues where this comes in, but let's take a, probably the simplest one, and that is an issue of abortion, okay? We would consider, I would consider, based on scripture, the value and the sanctity of human life. We are created in the image of God, and therefore, someone taking the life of another human being, to me, is a justice issue. That is, that is not caring for someone. That is taking their life. Now, I'm gonna stop here before I go anywhere, because it's possible, and it's more, very likely probable that someone in this room has had an abortion. Hear this. The good news of the gospel is there is forgiveness and there is redemption. And there is a God who stands and loves you and cares for you deeply. And we as a church, we care for you. I know people in my life who have had, a, had an abortion, all right? And so I know that that's painful. I know that that's hard. I know that's not something everybody looks back on favorably. But I still need to be able to speak to this issue despite that, okay? And so someone may say, hey, this is a justice issue. Abortion is a justice issue. And that's fine. The problem is, according to social justice issue, abortion is an issue, but it isn't what you think it is. The issue is that not everyone has equal access to abortion services. That's the social justice issue, okay? And we see how an issue like that we would, we would have a feeling or a relation based on scripture can actually be split. It'd be confusing, and it's subverted, and there are ideas, there are other ideas that find their way into social justice that actually become in conflict with what it means to follow Christ. And we have to be very careful. We have to have eyes that are wide open to these things. Otherwise, we'll slip and begin to support things and ideas and dreams and visions and all these kind of things without recognizing that it's possible that what I'm supporting is actually in conflict with my fundamental allegiance toward Christ. You remember, at the end of the day, that's more important than everything else. The other things, those other things can be good, but we cannot allow the good to take place of what is best, all right? All right, so there's one, one other topic that I, I am gonna bring up under this category. And again, this is, this is the area that I think is very specific. It has very much come up in culture recently, and that's why I say I don't want you to respond and react. I need you to listen to me, and that's the topic of critical race theory, okay? Here's why I'm approaching this. Because it is spoken of in a way that this is just a thought process, but this is really, it is a worldview. I don't come to you to react to anything. I've been studying very hard to understand, to have the best understanding that I possibly can to be able to speak into this, okay? 
And there are some good ideas. There are some good ideas in critical race theory. There is actually some truth in there. But taken as a whole, it is absolutely unbiblical and it is absolutely anti-gospel at its core, okay? And here's what I mean. I will speak to it to clarify, to help you understand that. Remember what he said. Your identity in Christ is what is most important, is it not? That's who we are as followers of Christ. Your identity in Christ, that is who you are. According to critical race theory, that is not. It, it is a division. It is meant to divide, and it's your group. It's your race. It's those things. That is what your identity is, and it puts us in a place as followers of Christ to mistake where our true hope is, where our true identity is at. There are other principles that are anti-gospel, such as the fact that it assigns motive to the heart of every person. And here's what you need to know. God says, no man knows the heart of another man. In fact, he says, you don't even know your own heart. You don't know what's inside your own heart. And yet this is a system that is it's empowering people to assign motive to every single person. I'm sorry, we don't have that opportunity to do so as followers of Christ. If you say, I don't want to follow Jesus, well, you can do whatever you want to. But if we're going to submit ourselves to Christ and to his authority and to his principles, then we have to live differently, okay? There's another principle that is at work in this, and is that it's the, the heartbeat of condemnation, not one of redemption, not one of salvation, but one of condemnation. Again, that is not at the heartbeat of God. And lastly, this concept of forgiveness. There is no space for forgiveness, right? That's not the goal. That isn't the purpose. And if we're followers of Christ, we don't get to operate. We don't get to hold vengeance. We don't get to operate that way. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. When they don't deserve it, we do it anyway. Why? Because Christ forgave you when you didn't deserve it. That's the foundation of a biblical understanding and what the gospel speaks. And unfortunately, although there can be some things in there that maybe you can hold on to, that can be good, the principle and the idea as a whole is a worldview that shapes your understanding of the world, and it does it in a way that's in conflict with the Bible, and it's in conflict with gospel principles, okay? And so I have to warn you, I have to ring the bell a little bit on this one and say, listen, this isn't to me in any way a partisan issue. This is a truth issue, and it's grounded not in some new fad that came out in the last 10 years. It's grounded in an entire movement that has been going on for 60 years that is in complete odds with scriptural Christianity, okay? And we have to be aware of this. We have to have eyes that are open to this. Now, do we continue to advocate for those who need it? Absolutely. Do we, do we do what we can, right, to care? Do we pursue justice? Absolutely. But we have to be aware that there are systems that sound really good, but they can take you the wrong direction. And as followers of Christ, we must stay focused on what matters most, that we submit to nothing other than to Christ. All right? So, I'm going to close this morning. I want to take us to our big so what. And I always say this, so what, what's the point of this thing? I know I've talked about a lot. I know you've stuck with me. Shake your neighbor a little bit. Shake your neighbor. I know it's been long. Okay. I want to take us to our big so what. Here's what it is this morning. Choose wisely whom you fear. Choose wisely whom you fear. The question is in, in life isn't, are you going to fear someone or something? The question is who, right? Whom are you going to fear? Are you going to fear God? In fact, that's what the, book, the scriptures say. Proverbs says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a good thing. Are you going to fear God or are you going to fear everything else? Are you going to fear the authorities? Are you going to fear the crowd? Are you going to fear the mob? That's what our culture wants you to do. Fear them. Go along with what they have to say. 
But as followers of Christ, we say, listen, I know it's compelling. I know I may want to go that way because I'm afraid of what they're going to say about me. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm afraid of what's gonna, all those things. I get that. I understand that. But we have to be those who say, no, I choose to fear God. We like it when Jesus uh, talks and uh, we read scriptures. And I know a lot of us, we like the words when he's like, oh, all the kids come to me. We like the little soft Jesus verses, right? We all love those verses. There's a couple verses in Luke chapter 12 that are really, really important. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. These are the, we don't like these verses. But this is the gospel according to Jesus. This is the reality of scripture. So we're in a position where we say, okay, well, how are we going to respond? Who are we going to fear? And I just say this as your pastor, choose wisely whom you fear. Because if you're not careful, you will fear things other than God. And when you do so, you may be compromising your primary allegiance and in so putting yourself in very dangerous territory. I don't say this because it's fun. I say it because I love you and I care about you. I don't just care about your time. I care about your eternity. Okay? And so this is why I speak to this. There's a story, and I'll close with this. There's a song, actually, that a lot of you have probably heard before. I have decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you've sung that song before. You may not know the story behind that song. The story behind that song is that there was a, some missionaries that went to India to bring the hope of Jesus to uh, some different tribal nations and all that stuff, and they, they, they came and brought the hope of Christ, and, and this family came to faith in Christ. And they began leading a few of the other families in their tribe to Christ. Unfortunately, the chief was not real happy about this because they were moving away from their religious system and ideas. So the chief of this tribe brings, brings this man and his family before him and says, listen, denounce Christ. You cannot follow him. He says, I can't do that. I'm, I'm following Jesus. And he brings the man's children. And he says, all right, denounce Christ or they die. I don't know what your response would be in that circumstance. But he says, I, I can't deny Christ. We have decided to follow Jesus. And he killed his kids. And he brought his wife out and said, deny Christ or I will kill your wife. Said, I can't. We decided to follow Jesus. He killed his wife. Gave him one last chance. He said, you deny Christ or you're dead. And he killed him because he wouldn't deny Christ. When they found his writings later on, because it ended up he had led some other people to faith, eventually the chief of his very own tribe came to faith in Christ and killed him. But he found in his writing, they found these words written, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Right? No turning back. And that's my prayer for us as followers of Christ. Listen, it ain't always easy, folks. If you're looking to follow Christ and like this is going to be the super easy thing and it'll just make my life better and I'm going to smile all the time, right? that, that's a, that is the wrong view of what faith is. It might be hard, 
Following Christ is not easy, but it is absolutely good. In the fullness of time, there is no better decision than to submit yourself to God, to his authority. As I've said, life, abundant, overwhelming, overflowing life is only found in submission to Christ, and it is available for you today. If you've never submitted to his authority, if you've never given your life to him, know that he is standing at the door of your heart right now, knocking, saying, come, come, come. Would you come to me? Everyone, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. Come to me. Come to me. Lay yourself down and I will give you rest. I will give you life. I will give you everything your heart was created for. But it doesn't happen until you say, I'm yours. So I want to pray over you here this morning. And I want to give, there's somebody, somebody, some of you, you may need to, to respond on your own. I know that. I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me across the room? I'm going to ask you just to place your hands over your heart. And over the next moments, I'd just like to challenge you to have a moment with God right now. Talk to God yourself. You may need to say, God, forgive me. I, I've, I've been playing around. I've been submitting to other things, God. I've been off course. Maybe my eyes have been on the wrong thing. Speak to God. Allow him to speak to your heart right now, okay? But there may be some of you out there who've never submitted to Christ. You've never given your life to Christ. And I'm going to pray here in a moment. And my encouragement to you is to pray along with me this prayer and to submit your life to Christ. It is the greatest decision you could ever make. It is the one that will transform not just your time, but will transform your eternity. You can pray a prayer like this in your own heart. God, thank you so much for pursuing me even though I want to do things my own way. Thank you for giving your life for me even though I didn't want to submit to you. God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died and he rose again to give me new hope. And so, God, I repent. I repent of my way of doing things. I repent of my sin, and I turn away from that. And, God, I turn toward you in submission. I surrender my life to you. I make you my king. I make you my Lord. I make you the leader of my life. God, help me to live for your glory, to live for your kingdom under your authority, God. I give myself to you, and God, I receive the gift of salvation and newness of life that only comes through Jesus. I thank you for that, God. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for every other person in this room. Lord, every one of us, it's so easy, it's so tempting, God, to just go along with the fine-sounding arguments of our world. God, give us a spiritual backbone to stand up for truth, to walk in truth. Give us the courage, Lord, the courage to stand in truth, not to bow to everything that is around us. And God, I pray you would give us spiritual wisdom to understand and to see clearly. God, that we would see the lies, that we would see the things that are false, and instead stand and choose to walk in obedience to you above everything else, Lord. God, may we never exchange the good for you. May we never exchange the good for the best, Lord. Give ourselves to you, Jesus, your name. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. I want us to close by singing the lyrics of this song that I just sang to you. I have decided to follow Jesus. Sing this with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow no turning back, no turning. Sing, no none go with me, no none go with me, 
still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. Come on, sing one more time. The world behind me. Behind me, the cross. Be- Come on, sing it out. Oh, the world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before. Me. No turning back. No turning. God, may we be those who stand, no matter what kingdom, no matter what authority, no matter what crowd, no matter what mob may come after us, may we be those who stand and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's nothing you can throw me will stop that, God. God, help us to give everything to you in submission. Lord, I pray for anybody who wrestled with some of the things we talked about. They're struggling with even some of those. God, I pray that you would reveal the truth in hearts, Lord, today. God, may we hear your voice above every other voice, including mine, we pray. Pray that in the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. 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 I love you guys so much. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward at this time. If you're here and you need prayer, do not leave without receiving prayer, all right? We want you to receive prayer here this morning. Otherwise, you guys have a great week. We love you. We'll see you back next Sunday.